Welcome to Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Snell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Today, I get to talk to Sebastian Taffanel, Principal Consultant at Stractical Solutions, which is a boutique IT consultancy supporting government agencies like the ODNI. Sebastian served 20 years within DOD Special Ops and Intelligence. And since retirement, he spent 20 years implementing sound security engineering practices focused on implementing zero trust and highly resilient environments. So I had the pleasure of meeting Sebastian for the first time at the Billington Cybersecurity Summit. And after speaking to him for 10 minutes, I knew that I needed to get him on the podcast. The two topics that we um, talked about were his work around ODNI and employing disabled veterans. These two topics felt crucial when addressing today's cybersecurity landscape. And I am really excited to dig into both of these topics a little bit more. Welcome to the podcast, Sebastian. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm very humbled that you've asked me to be in your podcast. I'm also super excited to share my two passions, which is help continue to serve and and help our nation to not only deliver uh, secure systems and environments, but also move the needle forward when it comes to collaboration and coordination amongst all the different elements uh, within the intelligence community. I do need to caveat something. I am not here in official capacity from the ODNI CIO office. I am merely here to share with your audience the experiences and observations and hard lessons learned along the way as we are delivering the various new capabilities for the ODNI CIO and ODNI at large. Thank you. Noted. And we really appreciate you sharing your personal lessons learned. So. Sebastian, you had a long career in the Army before transitioning into government contracting and security engineering for the last 20 years. First of all, thank you very much for your service. You're well worth it. Thank you. And that is the nicest response I've ever received. Thank you. So now you're running your own consultancy, which the name I love, I I hope we have time to get to it, Stractical. But specifically, I want to talk about your support at ODNI. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned when we spoke at Billington, um, ODNI has an unclassed workspace environment that is a completely new ecosystem. It's 100% cloud-based. First of all, why would you say unclassed workspace rather than internet? Is it it an intranet? Is it internal only? So... What was rolled out, um, this actually goes back to pandemic. Mm. It was clearly accepted and understood that we, the ODNI CIO office, needed to do something so Mm. that ODNI mission can continue 
even when everyone is, you know, forced to be home or forced to be away from uh, the traditional office space, right? That typical government uh, entities have. And so, literally over the weekend, a group of about three or four people quickly rolled out what we were calling what we called an ad hoc environment, leveraging essentially Microsoft Azure and M365. For those folks that may not know that parlance, M365 is essentially Office 365 with a whole bunch of other capabilities that are cloud-based. And so that was rolled out to the workforce. Over the weekend? And that, um, again, it was an ad hoc environment. There were a lot of things missing, but it got the job done. And so, in other words, we were able to uh, leverage Microsoft Teams, which is essentially uh, a collaboration uh, suite of tools. Uh, it has uh, chat rooms. It has what it's called Teams channels. So think of it as a um, as a place where focused teams can collaborate in with uh, document sharing, document editing. A, a lot of people equate it to you know Google Workspace. Mm. Um, if most people are familiar with Gmail mm-hmm. and Google mm-hmm. Docs and G Drive, think of that, but in the Microsoft branding. And so the the goodness about that is that's what we delivered and that's what worked. However, comma, all along we knew that we needed to move that into a more restricted environment. So we ramped up uh, what we called UView 2.0, which was the follow-on. And all that now lives in what uh, Microsoft calls GCC High. Uh, so GCC is Government Commercial Cloud. High meaning that it's a much more security robust and resilient environment that is exclusively uh, managed by U.S. persons. A common e- equation would be AWS GovCloud. Mm, and so okay. we, we did that. We delivered it September 2022. Along with that, we delivered a highly robust and implementable mobile device management. So our government-furnished equipment mobile devices are controlled and managed by ODI, uh, which means our data is 100% protected, right? So you can't, it's, they're basically no fun iPhones. <laughs> so, you know, the, the user is not allowed to download applications. They're not allowed to change on the security settings, um, and which is what you would expect typically of um, uh, GFE uh, devices. Yeah. And along with that, we rolled out a BYOD or bring your own device mobile application management, which essentially is the device is the owners, right? They own all rights to that. However, we protect our data by essentially creating a an application container that you're restricted from copy pasting out of our containers into, say, um, Messenger, SMS, text, or their own email. So we did that and we delivered that in September, 2022. And that's what we have today. Uh, Since then, we are rolling out additional capabilities. um, And then at some point, we're going to have um, the ability to bring in uh, external agencies. We can do that now, uh, but we, we wanna try to bring trusted agencies into our environment so that we can have full collaboration across uh, the majority of the Intel community. Do you know, 
if other agencies have done something similar, this sounds. Yes, they have actually. Okay. Yes, they have. Yeah. I I'll just say the big five. So that's Mm -hmm. uh, uh, NSA, CIA, NRO, NGA, and ourselves. So the big five all have either nascent and, or have delivered um, to the enterprise or in the process of delivering to the enterprise via uh, the pilot process. And so, yes, it, ironically, <laughs> ironically, we were the first guinea pigs and um, our CIO, Sue Dorr, and our CTO, Brian Scheffler, were perfectly okay with that um, because we wanted to be the trendsetters slash trailblazers. So you, um, it was okay. Go ahead. You created a workspace that's remote mm-hmm. that can even be yep. used like on my own device as long as I have that special application on there that is it like a oh man i used to do this I, the, no it's not unlike mobile iron or any other okay. the former or yeah. um yeah what was that uh good um mobile iron no. i'm familiar with yeah yes yeah and so n- no it it actually is office you're okay. actually using real word you're using edge uh-huh. you're using PowerPoint, you're using Excel. So you're using Microsoft native applications mm-hmm. that happen to be um, managed by ODNI CIO, right? Okay. So th- that way the user doesn't have this huge burden to learn something new. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not to disparage a mobile iron, but that's that was their way no, of running things. No, I mean, that, that is so. exactly the problem. Like these great new innovative technologies come, but then you have to learn how to walk all over again. It's painful. Yes, it's really it is hard painful. to get your culture to adopt when you have to learn new everything. Absolutely. And, Even, and user, ex- I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so I think we were going the same place. You were about to say user experience. I know that even yes. trying to switch from like a Mac to um, Adele, it's, it's just enough different that I, I just won't do it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, all right. Well, what are some of the key considerations agencies should take into account when they're developing data security best practices? I mean, cause obviously you had to do that with this unclassed yes. environment. Yep. Um, so key considerations, uh, first and foremost are, is protecting the data. That was, um, if you will. Wait, did you just say uh, zero trust? <laughs> nah, well, so, so um, that's a trap that a lot of people fall into, including myself. When zero trust first was published, those of us that have been in the industry longer than, you know, 10, 15 years, we all realized, oh, you want us to do what we should have been doing all along. Mm. So, <laughs> so, um, and, and I often get a man on that from, uh, more senior folks like myself and yourself. So it, it is what it is. Uh, zero trust now has, um, essentially redrawn the lines for cybersecurity professionals and it professionals. And I will say it's a, it's a absolutely data centric model. Mm-hmm. Whereas in previous decades, we looked at network centric centric right. uh, security models right. so it's Protect less about yes it's less about 
connections more about the actual crown jewels, which is, of course, is the data. Mm-hmm. So, so from uh, so data protection number one, and and in fact, CDOR has a great tagline. Hopefully, I don't mess it up. Uh, which is tag the data, tag the user, and then audit the hell out of them, out of them, right? <laughs> which really, in a very simple, you know, five second tagline, really describes, you know, everything about zero trust. So know where your data lives, right? Understand the data flow mappings, understand um, user access and via ICAM, et cetera, and making sure that the totality of what you see on your network, what you see in your applications, platforms, and infrastructure, what you see in your workloads, what you see as far as user activity, all of that adds up to dynamic access control, which is really the end goal of Zero Trust at the advanced tier, which ultimately is the ecosystem is fully aware and fully cognizant and has full visibility so that orchestrated, automated decisions can be made on the fly. So would you say that when you were looking at data security and the way you needed to approach it and even data security practices, would it be fair to say that you maybe started with or at least took into consideration the zero trust architecture? Yes. Or am I, so, am I simplifying you, it with a buzzword? Yeah, sorry. The zero trust architecture really a reference architecture and so the meaning of a reference architecture is it's it's a suggested thing mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people think that zero trust is solution based or it's a one size fits all and that's not really the case zero trust at least in my personal opinion is more to do with i have a goal i have an objective i'm going to create tasks associated with that i'm going to capture that in a zero trust implementation plan in my own version of a zero trust reference architecture so that uh, our downstream organizations can apply that at the system level. We at the ODNI CIO enterprise level are going to deliver, which we already started, we're going to deliver consumable services so that when it comes to security controls or reciprocity of security controls, it's not a it's not a whole new game or a whole new requirement at the system level, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, reciprocity in some circles it's a dirty word because everybody wants to do it, but nobody really wants to be first. And so, we're learning, right? We're learning. I I think as culture is changing and realizing that. Oh yeah, we can protect our data. Oh yeah, we we can share it responsibly. All the buzzwords that were thrown around again 10, 15 years ago, we actually now have the technology and frankly the culture to do that. Well, so this kind of goes back to we were talking about this before I hit record. Mm-hmm. The name of your um company, Stractical. Yes. Did I pronounce it right? Yes, ma'am. We were just talking about how you know, these, these strategy plans get made, but there's no, there's no way to actually implement them. They're just words on a page that get shelved. They mean nothing. So until we can marry the strategy and, and directly map it to the tactical to achieve Mm -hmm. the strategy, it's just a, it's a waste of time. I mean, maybe you check a mandate box, but it's a waste of time. Um, so I, I'm not going to lie. I had to look up 
reciprocity to try to understand like (laughs) in this context, what you mean by it. So I'm reading the definition, but help say more about that, about what you mean by it in this context. Sure. So originally what it meant is if agency A and the old terms accredits, now the new term is authorizes, ATO is another common new term, which is authority to operate. Mm -hmm. So when a authorizing official, which typically is the highest, it's a delegated position from a director or in DOD world would be a, um, potentially could be a commander or the G6, A6, et cetera, J6. That authorizing official has full responsibility and accountability to make sure that that system that was ATO'd is operating within a certain set of security parameters. Mm-hmm. Now, that authorization, where the term reciprocity came, was intended to be uh, essentially adopted by another agency, call it Agency B, so that if I roll out the same thing or if I connect my system to the other system, I would essentially inherit all of the goodness that was evaluated, assessed, and tested, and approved. Uh, That way, as agency B, I don't have to go through that whole process on my own. So I can use agency A's ATO? I I can essentially accept agency A's ATO as my own. Because because I trust that they've implemented the right security controls and practices. Okay. Got it. Got it. Sadly, that hasn't been really adopted across Mm. uh, the entire, I can say with confidence uh, across the entire intelligence community, there are some really good pockets that have, but overall, not common practice. Really? What, just because we don't trust each other? Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is that really why? Um, Yes. Okay. it's it has to do back to the data yeah so in the data world you have what's called data stewards or data owners i'm sorry uh Uh that's now been replaced with data stewards so data steward is again personally accountable to protect the data and so of course especially with an intel community well let me put it in commercial terms would pepsi and coke share information maybe Uh but they're going to be really protective about it, right? They can share processes without sharing intellectual property. Yeah, the formula is what really is what gets protected. Right. Um, So how can I do that in an environment or ecosystems, you know, corporately, et cetera, um, safely and securely and still be able to protect my own IP, right? Mm -hmm. So that's essentially what the intelligence agencies all have collection authorities and then based upon those collection authorities, they are uh, mandated or encouraged to share that intelligence across themselves. Now, when it comes to reciprocity of systems, right? Um, and I want to get, I'm sorry, I'm, I don't want to deep dive into this because I, I could go for hours, but <laughs> essentially reciprocity is a process and also a culture of accepting each other's risks. And that's really the bottom line on, mm. on all that. Mm. Yep. Okay. So we've, We've talked about it, you know, a little bit here and there about how uh, data protection has evolved. You talked about, you know, we used to look at how do we protect the network. Now we're more focused on the data rather than the 
the castle moat kind of scenario. Right. Um, this reciprocity idea. Maybe I've heard it before, but I'm the, this is it's new to me. That's why I'm just like, okay, I gotta I understand reciprocity. I just I needed to wrap my head around it, how it fits into this context. So so two those are two things that have evolved. What else has evolved in data protection since you've been in the business? Yeah, I would say data protection has absolutely evolved with regards to understanding access. And that's both at the user level and what's known in, in our community as non-person entities. So essentially, you've got person entities, aka a human, mm -hmm. and then you have non-person entities, everyone else. So the user access is typically what good. It derives from physical and personnel security, right? If um, you and I need to share a piece of data, um, I need to make sure that you have the right need to know, the right access, et cetera. So that was old school. Now I can leverage a system that automatically checks um, your, um, uh, your PKI and matches it with mine and says, okay, you guys have the same, we have the same level of clearance um, I'm still I'm still responsible to determine need to know on your case, and then I can share that data with you. Now, put that at scale, right? Think hundreds of thousands. Yeah, like that doesn't seem like it scales. It doesn't scale, correct. So now you have NPE access as well, which which gets a little more dicey because now essentially now you have servers, applications, APIs, which are essentially ways to connect. Uh, from one system to another that I can call data from, that I can either read only or I can read and then uh, download on my own system. And that way I can do my own prosecution of that data set or a piece of data. And now APIs get even more murky because now we have these things called containers. Mm -hmm. And containers are very fluid, right? I'm sure most of your listeners understand that a container really at the end of the day is, a, is an application running on a server except it's free to roam based upon the rule set that is um, provided to them. The problem with containers is it's really hard to audit containers unless you have, and I'm going to plug, plug you guys, um, Dynatrace that can see what's going on, right? Can tell you what's going on in that container. However, you still have to be really careful about the API, API calls that are allowed from each of those containers and also the network piece. So when you wrap all that together, does this sound like zero trust? Because it is. Mm -hmm. Now you have to pay attention, right, to not just the user and not just the data, uh, right? You got to pay attention what workstation, what workload, what application, what environment, what network, what subnet. Yeah, all again, of that. it doesn't scale. No, it doesn't scale. <laughs> so, so now we have to realize that... Um, We've got to leverage AI, ML, or artificial intelligence, machine learning as best as we can. And I'll, and I'll share my personal opinion on AI, ML. Uh, there's a lot of buzz and hype about it, but it really, if you peel the onion back, it boils down to, at least from an IT security perspective, it's an enabler, right? Mm -hmm. It Right now, we have a lot of human on the loop. Mm -hmm. uh, what we want to do is... I'm sorry, human in the loop. Well, mm -hmm. we want to get human on the loop and then eventually human out of the loop. So now 
access decisions are made dynamically. Now, I don't necessarily need a human on the loop unless it's like super, super sensitive IP or classified information that you need someone, right, that is a human oxygen breather that can actually make that decision as far as need to know, et cetera. However, everything behind that, once the decision is made, there is no more touch, right? A decision's made, it's captured, it's loaded into the various uh, identity systems and ICAM systems and data uh, protection decision points. All that is done in the background. Now, again, there's small pockets that are doing this today. Um, a great example would be uh, you can easily share something right within a, a particular file sharing application. And you can restrict that to only specific email addresses. And you can also restrict whether or not someone is able to forward that, right? So that's one good example of what can be done today at your home. I would say from another data protection point of view is most people are realize that the we have data at rest and data in transit protections, right? And so what we need to work out is if I do data at rest, right? And now I want to have multiple, say, cloud blobs or storages or buckets, um, I don't necessarily want to use the same key, right? right. And now I need use separate keys, which means now I have to either bring my own key management service or use the organic uh, vendor provided key management service. That gets a little tricky, right? Because now if you're tapping both those data storages or data blobs, you want to make sure that you're tapping into the right one. And that mm -hmm. also gets tricky because now you have to manage those keys if you're providing your own. Mm -hmm. And so these are things that are, again, big thoughts, big issues to think through, uh, not impossible. In fact, most of the vendors already do that and they show you ways to do that. I will plug our, our cloud service providers. They do cooperate actually. Uh, in fact, Sue and Brian force them into the same room and we have a single conversation about our needs. Um, and I think that's great. Because so, you, it, it, so when you say they cooperate, you mean that big hyperscalers cooperate with one another? Yes. Oh, yep. good yep. to know. Yeah, and, and they they do this for the simple reason that they recognize that not all data needs to live in a single place. Uh -huh. Some data can, but a lot of it can't because we're leveraging AIML solutions across multiple providers. Again, right. everyone has their own strengths, right? So we're trying to choose uh, best athlete as much as we can for specific data sets that we have. So everything we've been talking about, I mean, it comes back, yeah, it comes back to cybersecurity. I'm going to shift gears a little bit because yeah. we know that there's a huge gap in the cybersecurity workforce. And yeah. we've, we're creating this new need for an AI workforce that doesn't exist. Like the recent right. EO that came out on AI is saying, you know, you need to hire or you need to appoint these AI experts. And they don't exist. So you and I talked about um, enabling disabled veterans to help fill the cybersecurity um, workforce gap. And I'm going to throw in there today, just based on, you know, the latest buzz around the AIEO. <laughs> yeah. Same, 
I know it's like an old McDonald's song. Um, (laughs) But I mean, there's, there's a gap in that workforce too. So tell me about how we can train and equip our veterans to help alleviate the cyber workforce shortage. Well, I mean, let's start with you personally, like you transitioned, right? Yeah. You're a vet. You are now part of this workforce, the cybersecurity workforce. How did that happen? That's actually a really good question. I love to share the story because it's kind of, it's essentially my origin story. So my last unit that I served was, um, again, a special ops unit. And we had uh, five disconnected. And the only way to, to communicate with each other to pass on uh, information was to use secure faxes, right? So, yes. Secure facts. Did you just say yeah. facts? I did. Oh my god! So yeah, we didn't have a common place to share email. We didn't have in the yeah, field. You were faxing each other. Um, not in the field. We're all garrison based, but okay. we were spread across uh, four, five states actually. Mm-hmm. And so, by design, this was primarily because of security um, uh, needs and concerns. We were using secure faxes. So Wait, my new was this like 1980? When was this? I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. We, the joke was 1985 call them that want their secure fax back. Yeah. So seriously. So um yeah, so somewhere around 1998, uh, we we uh we had a new commander show up and he was very forward leaning. And so out of nowhere, he calls me to his office and my nickname back then was Taff. He says, Taff, like, I've got a, do I have a deal for you? And I was like, oh crap. And mind you, at the time I was the command security manager, which really meant I was single threaded and I had all the securities, personnel, information, computer, um, mm. contractor security, everything was under my, my purview. And so... The last thing I needed was another new project, but he was an 06 Fulberg Colonel. I said, yes, sir. What is it? He says, hey, I want you to roll out a secure WAN. For those of you that may not be familiar, back then. Wireless uh, access network? Wire. Mm, no. It, no, it's wide area network. Wide area network. Oh, yeah. So and it's okay. So a, a land back in those days was, you know, confined to a, a known geographical location. And that was it. Whereas yeah. a WAN was essentially, I would go through uh, standard comms or communications, secure communications, and I'd be able to connect to someone else's LAN. Mm-hmm. So uh, thank God he shared with, equipped me with a, an amazing network uh, security engineer. And off we went. And literally in the back of a napkin that my boss gave me and working hand in hand every day for six months, in six months, we actually rolled out the first ever um, secure logistics acquisition and contracting uh, network in, in direct support of uh, uh, top DOD special operations units. You rolled out so, your own intranet across yeah. five? Yep. How many we states? We rolled out our own intranet, so five states. So a lot of work, a lot of uh, TDY and visits on the road, a lot of culture changing. It was huge. So... I can that only did. imagine like leadership. Yeah. 
how scared they must have been to like throw um, information out into the ether like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously we use secure connectivity. Yeah, but they uh, wouldn't, I mean, at the time it was so, like you said, forward thinking to be able to trust it. Right. If they don't understand, you know, a lot of people still don't understand it. Um, I only pretend to. <laughs> but you do a great job, Carolyn. You're doing awesome. <laughs> um, but I can, I like I said, I'm just thinking about even my dad. Like, so he was a colonel in the army. Right, right. And I'm thinking he didn't trust anything online. Right. I can right. only imagine like what his response would have been to this, what you did. It was so sci-fi cutting edge out there, really. It, it was, and it, it the benefit was immediately uh, felt. And so back to the name of my company and how I got into cyber, um, the strategy was, right, to create a, um, a statewide WAN, uh, five or multi-state WAN. The, the why was because we were done using secure faxes and it took three times as long to actually get to a decision. And also, um, by, you know, by the time you copy that fax times four times, it's, it's no longer secure. Were you using like, it's hardly legible. It's hardly legible. Oh yeah. There. And there's that. Were you using cross domain technologies? So were you able to send like high side, low side, or was it all. You're adorable. No. <laughs> I told you, I pretend to understand. <laughs> no, no. So, um, so what happened then, I, um, I went ahead and right before then I, I applied to uh, undergo a test, which was known as certified, certified protection professional, mm-hmm. which was at that point, the highest security certification that was internationally accepted and and recognized for folks like me. Mm -hmm. It had very, very light uh, domain known as information security or computer security at the time. And so I went to a conference, national conference. I was obviously I was still active duty and I was mandated to show up in uniform. So here I am, you know, guy walking around with a green beret in a security conference, which immediately I was suspect. And so, so I attended, I attended a session that was, uh, and I'm re- we're really going to update ourselves. I'm sorry, Carolyn. Do you remember, um, CompuServe back in the day? I don't know what you're talking about. That's way before <laughs> my time. <laughs> as we say in the military, you're coming over broken and stupid. Yes. So, so yeah. So, you know, back in the day of AOL, I'm sorry, AOL and Yahoo and CompuServe, <laughs> those were the yeah. big, those were the big uh, folks on the market, right? And yeah. so the, the uh, chief security officer or director of security, as they were called back then, had another certification after CPP, and that was CISSP, which is yeah. ISP. I know that squared. certification. Mm-hmm. Right. The yeah. Certified Information System Security Professional. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that sounds cool. And so after his talk, I literally walked up to him, say, I introduced myself. And after just a few seconds of talking, he looked at me and said, well, w- what do you want to be? And I literally looked at him straight in the eye and said, you, I want to have both the certifications and I want to be able to speak authoritatively 
about computer security and mm-hmm. also the other securities. Mm-hmm. So, yep, for for a, a long time, I carried both certifications. Um, that gave me a taste and a love for what we now call cybersecurity. Yeah, so, so you that, got to learn on the job, though. I mean, you got to learn. Oh, yeah. I, I, I am a self-taught security engineer. Right. I did not go to school for this. Nope. Well, nope. you did, right? Well, you did yeah. these certifications. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was so, practical training, practical training, really. Yes. It you really was. By doing. Correct. And, and I think that's what I would like to uh, provide disabled vets to tie it into really my passion. Um, a, a quick footnote. Uh, it's officially announced to my folks, so it's not going to be surprised when they listen to this. Uh, I'm um, pursuing retirement, like full retirement. I've been at this game for over 40 years, and I realized that there comes a point when you have to accept the fact that there's only so much more I can give and so much. Uh, I, I have a different mission. My mission is to equip enable disabled vets uh, to become uh, agents of good, right, within cybersecurity and the artificial intelligence um, ML environments. And also, we still need uh, security-minded cloud engineers, really. So those three are the big three needs right now, particularly cybersecurity is huge now with it, like you said, the, the new AO, AIEO, M-O-U-S-E. Um, we have to have competent people and being a disabled vet myself, um, having gone through a lot of stuff to get my head right. And I'm still obviously it's a work in progress. Um, I, <laughs> for, I us my, for us all, for us all, Sebastian. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> this is where the audience says ditto. Um, so anyhow, the, um, at the end of the day, you know, and I'm sorry, that's my favorite phrase because really at the end of the day, I just want things done. Well, uh, so I need we, to pause because you just said you're sure. seeking retirement, but you yeah. realize you're not. <laughs> you're just shifting focus to this new hey, mission. Let, let, let me live that life for a moment, please. Okay, fine. Um, you go be thanks. retired for five minutes. Hey. I can't, I, <laughs> I mean, you said something to me at Billington that just really, like it gave me chills. It struck me at my core. And you said that veterans already have a call to protect the nation. Absolutely. hundred percent. And this is just a way for them to continue the mission, which is what you've done and what you're telling me you're going to continue to do. You can call it retirement if you want, but (laughs) (laughs) if that makes you feel better, you say that word. Thanks. Just don't tell my family. Um, no, but seriously, that it is a passion, like I said, and I don't know how that passion's going to roll out. Uh, I have some thoughts, ideas. Again, if people want to reach out to me, I think you're going to put my email address out into the wild. So please do. Um, I would love to partner uh, not only with uh, current um, training providers, but also, you know, the likes of Amazon, et cetera. Yeah. A lot of them already hire veterans and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them already have even corporately have programs to, to train folks. 
I know the military and, and the Intel community adopted it as well. It's called the w- Wounded Warrior Program. Yes. So we we off we actually we have many in our building um, that came through that program and they were essentially would come on as government employees and are coached, mentored, trained to do to be again um, contribute to the mission. So it's not a new thing. I think the focus, at least from I believe, my, the focus is now specifically delivering folks who can perform and deliver cybersecurity and AIML mm. um, support. Well, you made so, me think of, I, so I, I just had the pleasure of talking to um, Dr. Amy Hamilton. She's with the Department of Energy, and she's a visiting faculty chair for the DOE at the National at the- Defense University. Awesome. So, I mean, maybe you should go be a teacher, Sebastian. <laughs> um, nobody would take me on because I have zero credentials in the <laughs> academic world. So unless they want to put me on as an adjunct professor slash get speaker, sure. I'd love to share um, my experiences and also the hard lessons learned along the way. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't intend to be an academic. I play one on TV and I got fired last night. So with, there you go. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, there there is. I know there are solutions out there. I just I feel that from a disabled veteran perspective, uh, again, as one myself, you feel like sometimes you feel like you can't contribute to the mission. And that's mm-hmm. all that negative self-talk that we give ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of us. Um, uh, deal with guilt, survivor um, syndrome. Mm. A lot of it are, uh, we see our impairments as that. Um, and so it's hard to get out of our head. It's hard to to get out there and actually put yourself uh, and make yourself vulnerable. And I know, sorry, I'm sounding like a therapist. I'll, I'll send you the bill later. <laughs> but th- this, is, this is a thing. This is a thing for us. And so by giving ourselves a mission, something that we can definitely cling on to, something that actually matters. And so and it's is already deliberate. the fabric of your values. Oh yeah. It's our ethos. Absolutely. Yeah. It's in our yeah. It's our DNA. It's our ethos. It's how we operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you don't have to convince disable that to protect the nation. Done. And 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 I'm sorry, I'm not disparaging civilians or um regular veterans at all. Oh no, uh, I get fact. it. I get oh, it. Yeah. I hear you. Yep. Yep. And so, and that's, I believe that's an untapped uh, population. I really do. Um, and again, I could be wrong. So please, if I'm wrong, please send me an email and say, hey, Sebastian, you're way out of line. This is already done. Go do something else. Cool. I'll go ride my motorcycle and just enjoy life. Well, Thank you. What, what does wounded warriors do? Like with the site, so do they not focus at all on um, training disabled vets to take these like cybersecurity jobs and stuff like that? Is that something honestly, they do? I honestly don't know. Yeah, um, I don't know either. That, th- that program was specifically um, uh, to bring into the government workforce uh, disabled vets. Okay. And again, it's... Uh, and you have to qualify for the position. At least you need to have some level of uh, credentials. Mm. Again, that's all I know about it. I know I've seen uh, multiple folks in our building, and mm-hmm. I probably need to stop one next time I see them and ask them. 
mm-hmm. specifically or just reach out to the to the project itself um but again these are thoughts these are passions that's it's a i'm taking this on as a mission um i believe there's a need especially now with aiml because i that didn't even exist 10 years ago right uh, much less five years ago as far as uh mainstream so there are there are lots of things that are come down the line and i will share securing aiml is i think going to be the big 2024 thing yeah um I also believe there's going to be um, the need to, well, let me just say this. I personally believe cybersecurity folks are drowning in data. They're absolutely drowning. In All data. drowning in data. I can only imagine being like in cybersecurity specifically right. because and I'm drowning in data. Right, right. Exactly. Individually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, so I believe what's going to be needed is, um, the understanding and training and culture that accepts AIML as an enabler. As You're a beating me to my tech talk questions because that's what actually yeah. what I was going to ask you what your 2024 predictions are. So <laughs> your prediction is AIML workforce, like focus on that. What say that again? Um, I I believe the prediction is this: we're gonna we're gonna need to leverage AIML as a force multiplier. Mm, yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. and everybody, not just I mean me Correct. as a marketing Correct. person, Correct. I've got yep. to get better at leveraging like generative yep. AI. Correct, and specifically for something like marketing, you know, the the tools that are available right now for copywriting, and I'm sorry if anybody in your audience is a copywriter, <laughs> but they're amazing. They're absolutely yeah. amazing. Now, but you don't have to start from scratch as a copywriter, right? You can have uh, the likes of ChatGPT and others, and there's a ton of them now, generative AI solutions, we'll call them that, that mm-hmm. can give you the, the the outline. And then from there, you go forward, right? Yeah, you and it doesn't mean... Right, and you still have to have the training, the expertise in your area. Absolutely. It's, it's not replacing... It's, ChatGPT has never written anything that could replace or just that I could use ad hoc. I have to always look at it and say, mm, you did, you missed my, you missed the meaning. You changed right. the meaning. And I, I should not say you, it, <laughs> it yeah. changed. It's, it's funny how we changed that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we, AI is here and we, it is. And, and I will share with you, at least from a, um, you know, my optic for cybersecurity, uh, I believe there's a huge need for sense making. Mm. In other words, I think AIML can help us make sense out of the the uh, ocean deep worth of cyber data. Mm-hmm. And yes, there, there are tools, there are uh, flags, there are prompts, there are ways to, you know, reduce the false positives, et cetera which is all great, um, but that takes time to fine tune. And right. that, that takes expert knowledge to be able to do that. Um, and then if something flips, right, let's say you get a threat intel feed that says, oh, by the way, there's this new new attack and a new uh, vector. Now you've got to figure out how you're going to fine tune your uh, cybersecurity ecosystem and tools to be able to, to do that. And so, we typically, you know, from a cybersecurity perspective, we usually trigger from uh, signatures. 
right? A CVE, something that tells us that's obvious. Well, the reality is, particularly with nation state actors that are have all the time and money in most cases, um, and even the criminal um, cyber actors, um, they often apply standard things that we may have overlooked or they recognize through their uh, network um, uh, um, discovery and um, network, um, sorry, I'm losing the word. It's okay, one cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> we, we understand that sometimes we don't always patch our stuff mm. or in the one vendor, right? The whole uh, supply chain was compromised. So a patch then became the attack. And so as that happens, right, in, in real time, how are we going to respond to that mm-hmm. correctly, quickly, accurately? So then that becomes the sense-making. And honestly, it's sense-making to have actionable information slash intelligence so yes. that I, as a cybersecurity operator, I can execute, Right. Mm-hmm. Back in the days when I used to kick down doors for a living, um, people often ask me, um, hey, what do you need? I said, I only need three things, location, location, location. We'll take care of the rest. And so um, it's the same thing here with cybersecurity data. I need that piece of data or pieces of data that are going to allow me to do sense making or even uh, enable me to do sense making, AIML, for example, so that I can then execute. And I can actually either um, do the right things to quarantine or whatever it is, but my technique may be. Mm. Uh, and so that I believe, again, I'm, I'm not a cybersecurity operator. Um, I don't pretend to be. There are people who've dedicated their entire lives to do that, and they're amazing. And I also know that a majority of them are crying for help, and they're realizing that. I need to leverage automation as much as I can because yeah, I'm driving. Absolutely. And it, back, and it goes back to the previous conversation we had about uh, lack of people that can do this. Mm-hmm. What a fabulous time I've had talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Super fun. Um, listeners, thank you for joining us. Please share this episode and smash that like button. And we'll talk to you next time on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. For more Tech Transforms, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram.